Uh, grab your Bible if you have one, or just somehow get to Acts chapter 9. We're looking this morning at Acts 9, 20 through 31. Those are the verses we're studying. Uh, title of the message this morning, A Humble Instrument. A Humble Instrument. Let me ask a question. Have you ever um, in your life scored a goal for the other team? Maybe it's way back in your childhood, recreational soccer or basketball, and there you go, going the wrong way. Have you ever done that? The story this morning is kind of like that. You'll see that, I think. I'll tell you a story. You know, when I uh, finished up college, I had some close friends, guys that were roommates, and shortly after college, we said, hey, let's have a yearly guys golf trip. Let's do that. Let's, let's do that to keep in touch. And so the four of us, we met up in Georgia somewhere, and um, I'm not a golfer, and, but one of our friends is that guy, right? The one that's really into golf and good at golf. And it sounded like the thing you're supposed to do, like have a guy's golf trip or something. So we're like, all right, let's do it. So, you know, uh, we meet up. Of course, uh, we go to this very expensive golf course because our friend, he's really into it. And, and I'm just like, okay, we're, getting, we're there. We're at the first hole. The first, it's called a tee box. We're at that place. And I'm like, man why are we doing this? And I said, you know what? I'll go first. I'll go first. Let me just get this over with. There's all these people standing around. This is a very, a lot of affluent people, a lot of people that just really look like they know what they're doing. And I'm like, just let me go first. Let me go first. Let me just walk up there with my borrowed golf clubs and just humiliate us and get it over with and out of the way. So I walk up there. I grab the club and I've, you know, it's a little before YouTube, but I walk up there and I've, I've, gotten some tips, and I get ready. I swing, and the ball hits a tree about 10 feet to the right of where I am, ricochets back and hits me in the chest. (laughs) And my friend, the one who's a very good golfer, said, man, well, it it can only get better from here. You know, like it, he said, I've seen some bad strokes on a golf course, and that is by far the worst thing I've ever seen. And I just, just so you know, that was actually the last guy's golf trip reunion that, we've, that we had. And, you know, I share that story and, you know, joking on myself a bit there, it is a true story. But what we see in Acts chapter 9 is the persecutor, Saul, becoming the persecuted. You know, really, by the, by the first half of Acts 9, Saul's on one team trying to score in one goal. In the second half, he's scoring in the other goal, and he's on the other team. It happened that fast. You know, and to us, it seems amazing. It seems shocking, but you know that it's not that for the Lord. Saul, as we saw in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 last week, was, and I want to show you this verse, The Lord said, go, for he is, this is speaking of Saul, a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
And so this wasn't a surprise or an accident for God. He planned it. A chosen instrument. And that's where we get this title this morning, a humble instrument. Thinking of another person who changed history, Abraham Lincoln. And he said in a speech right before he became president and right before the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln said this. And I wanted to read this quote to you. He said, I'm exceedingly anxious that this union, that's the United States, that the Constitution and the liberties of the people shall be perpetuated in accordance with the original idea which that struggle was made. Listen, and I shall be, here's Abraham Lincoln, he says, I shall be most happy indeed if I shall be a humble instrument in the hands of the Almighty. Right before he became president and before the Civil War, a humble instrument. And we see here, you know, Paul is a humble instrument. And of course, last week we saw Ananias. God used him. And we think about others like Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. or these people that God used mightily, but let's not think it's only for them. It is, in fact, Paul who wrote in Ephesians 2 with his own pen, and I'll read to you, we are his workmanship. It's all of us. This is you. This is me. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Be a humble instrument. So this morning as we go through these verses, we're going to look at it through the lens of the three instruments that God uses in this passage. We could break this passage down a few different ways, but we're going to look at it through the lens of Paul, through the lens of another instrument that God uses, Barnabas, and through the lens of the church, the Christians that God used there in this passage. So let me just now read to you Acts 9.20 through 31. If you'll read along with me, it'll be on the screen. You can look at it in your own copy of God's Word. Acts 9.20 through 31. I'm going to read the passage and then pray, and then we'll look at the first point. So this is, let me just catch us up. This is right after Saul has become a Christian. It says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not? Come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. 
preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Let's bow our heads and pray, and we're going to study this passage carefully, okay? Lord, we thank You this morning for gathering us together. God, we thank You for last week on Easter, the chance for us to see this persecutor of the church, Saul, encounter the real and true God, Jesus Christ, and to be confronted with the truth and to to be converted, to become a believer and a follower of Yours. God, may we be people that encounter the real Christ. And Lord, may that then bear fruit in our lives. Lord, may we be humble instruments for Your service, for Your church. God, help us to see this morning clearly who Jesus is. Help us to see this morning clearly the good works, Jesus, that You have prepared for us to walk in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Humble instrument. First point, be a Paul. Be a Paul. So listen, I want to show you this passage. I want us together to consider what we see from Paul here. Like, like, what did God do through him right away? And, and how does that inspire and challenge us as instruments for the Lord, as humble instruments? And so be a Paul. And before we dive into the verses, let me just give you a bit of the timeline. Because sometimes when you're reading Acts, it's not always immediately clear that you know between verse 22 and verse 23, it's actually three years go by. So it's not always clear the timeline, right? So let me just say what's happening. So Saul, he comes to faith in Jesus. And we saw that last week. And so he then, Ananias prays for him, and he then is a Christian, and he gets baptized, and he's in the city of Damascus. And he begins sharing about Jesus there. It would kind of seem like he goes from there to Jerusalem if we just read this passage. But we know from another place, the book of Galatians, that Saul went from Damascus to a place called Arabia. And then he came back to Damascus. And he was in Arabia and coming back and forth to Damascus, or maybe he was in Arabia the whole time, or we don't know exactly the details, but he went to Arabia, came back to Damascus, and after three years, he then went to Jerusalem. And then he was in Jerusalem, we know, for 15 days, and then he went to Tarsus. Let me show you, Galatians 1. Look at, it's going to be on the screen, but let me show you, because this is just the timeline that we don't have in Acts, but now we have it. Galatians 1. Here's Paul speaking. He says, when he, that's Jesus, who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, and was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I 
went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Here it is. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and I remained with them 15 days. So that's the timeline. That's what's going on timeline-wise with Paul. But now let's just consider this point. Be a Paul. Let's consider it. And I want to give you a few, I think, applications or ways to be a Paul. You might say, how? How from this passage are we challenged to be a Paul? Let me give you five quick ways. One is immediately and boldly share about Jesus with your people. That's what we see. It's actually amazing. As soon as Saul becomes a Christian, he gets baptized. We see in verse 20, he immediately. You see the word there? Immediately. Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. And the synagogues is what? It's his own people. His family. The people he cared about. His own immediately share Jesus with people. And I think it's even important, just look through this passage. Look through verse 20 to verse 26. Look at verse 28 to verse 29. Look at the verses that are speaking exactly about Paul and what he was doing. And you will see in all of them, he is, it says, bold. He is proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Christ means Messiah. He's out there proving to people who Jesus is. I think, I think it's noteworthy. He's not out there spreading conservative values. He's not out there just trying to get people to be more religious. No, he's sort of detoxing from his own religious lostness, actually. He is sharing Christ. He's all about Jesus. Remember, he says in another place that he knew nothing among the Corinthians except Christ and him crucified. This is a person who wants to tell you about Jesus first and really, mainly and really, that's it. And I think it's instructive immediately and boldly share about Jesus with our own. Be a Paul. Are you still early in your Christian faith? Are you a new believer like Paul? Share your faith with others. Secondly, be a Paul. Live a transformed life. It's amazing, really. If you look at what they say in verse 21, what they say about Saul in verse 21, did you see it? It said, and all who heard him, so they heard him preaching. They're in Damascus at this time. This is really close after he became a Christian. And this is what they're saying. Do you see it? Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? Of those who called upon this name? This transformed life, this, this, this story. I mean, so I challenge you to think about 
this. As people look at your life, just know that one of the things that God really wants for you and for me is for people to look at our life and say, is that not the, the Dave who, who used to? Is that not the John who used wait a second, live a transformed life? And you say, well, not everyone can be Paul, rags to riches, prison to the pulpit, you know, all these kind of dramatic things. But everyone has a testimony. And we ought all to have a story where we can articulate how we came to know Christ, And we ought to have an ongoing story where Jesus is changing our lives, where we're being transformed. Where there's an old mat and a new mat and a mat that is not yet because of Jesus. So immediately share Jesus, live a transformed life. Here's another one. Graduate from the desert. I read to you that passage from Galatians 1 where Paul said that before he went to Jerusalem, so he was in Damascus as a new Christian, and then it says in Galatians 1 that he went away to Arabia. That's the desert. Arabian Nights. That is the desert. He says, I went away to the desert. And it wasn't for three years that I ended up coming back to Damascus and going to Jerusalem. Wow. So what we see here is that Paul was not rushed onto the platform as this new Christian who was so famous for how he was an enemy of the Christian faith, and now he's come to Christ. Bring him down to Jerusalem. Put him on stage. Give him a platform. No. God's plan was go to the desert for three years. God had to do a work in Paul. We know from other places in the New Testament that Paul, he says in Philippians 3, he had a lot of confidence in the flesh. Sometimes God uses the desert to strip away our confidence. Where we are coming to the end of ourselves, where we're being humbled, where we're being grounded in our faith, in this Jesus whom we've come to believe in. So Paul graduates from the desert before he goes and meets the apostles and becomes who we will know to be the apostle Paul. So be a Paul. Maybe it's to graduate from the desert. Maybe it's to embrace the desert season in your life and see how God's using it to later use you as a humble instrument. Another way to be a Paul is to persevere. To persevere, and this will be a quick point, but one thing I would just say is that we see that Paul, when he immediately became a Christian, he began by proclaiming his faith to everyone in Damascus. You saw that, right? It's interesting, though, after three years, two plots to kill his life, three years in the desert, we see him again. He shows up again. He pops up, and he's in Jerusalem. And what is he doing? Same thing. He's doing the same thing. He's still proclaiming Jesus. He's still walking with the Lord. He's still boldly proclaiming Jesus. And I think that's a challenge for us to to not just be those crusty old Christians that look back at that time in our lives when we were more passionate and zealous like the young people today and we say, 
oh, well, we're thankful that they're that way. I'm just going to, you know, coast. No. Paul persevered. He would later write, I counted all the loss. I, I do not look back at any of my past accomplishments, but pressing on toward the goal of that which is mine in Christ Jesus. You know, he's, he's living for Christ. Persevere. There are three stages in the Christian life, Kent Hughes says. This is helpful. The first stage is, this is easy. You know, right when you become a Christian, this is Saul. He's in Damascus. He becomes a Christian. He's a new Christian. He's like, hey, I'm going straight to the synagogue, sharing about Jesus. He's excited. This is easy. The second stage of the Christian life is, this is difficult. And the third stage of the Christian life is, this is impossible. Paul persevered, still proclaiming Christ, still bold. The fifth uh, be a Paul application that I just would put forward to you would be make disciples. Make disciples, and here's what I would say. Make disciples, you never know when you might need them to save your life. Make disciples and humbly receive their life-saving help. They, it says in verse 25, that by this time, in verse 25, so Saul, he's still in Damascus, and it says that by this time, he has what Luke calls his disciples. Do you see that? The guy that wasn't a Christian five verses earlier, but of course, three years have passed, but he's been proclaiming Christ, and it says that his disciples, who are your men, who are your women? You have two arms. You can put two people in spiritual headlocks for Jesus. Make disciples. Paul made disciples such that it was said his disciples took him by the night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. How humbling. Hey, Paul, climb into the basket. I, I picture a picnic basket. Humbling. Maybe it was more like a hot air balloon basket. That's a little more honorable. Either way, we're lowering you out the window in a basket so that you can escape. We love you, Paul. Thank you for discipling us. Thank you for investing in our lives spiritually. We're for you. We want you to go live on and be able to do this in others' lives. You've invested in us. Make disciples. Be a Paul. Let me ask you a question. Where in Scripture, where in the Bible, can you think of another Paul? Another great missionary? Another person who often pulled back and pulled away to the desert for prayer. Another person who boldly proclaimed the true identity of Jesus to the religious establishment in Jerusalem. Another person who people wanted to kill because of his claim. Another person who was humble, not lowered in a basket, but hung on a cross. Who is another Paul that you can think of 
in the Bible? The answer is, it's Jesus. The greatest Paul is Jesus. Be a Paul. Be like Christ. Now be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. You know, Barnabas has already showed up in Acts, in Acts 4. And there we learned about him. He was a very generous Christian. He sold some property that he had. He took all of the proceeds and he gave it to the church to use to serve the mission of the church. And they called him Barnabas. And Barnabas means the son of encouragement. But here we see another way that Barnabas in the early church was was famous for his encouragement. Now recall what the problem is. Verse 26 is a key for us to understand what Barnabas had to address. Verse 26 says that the apostles in Jerusalem, see, once Paul was lowered in the basket, escaped Damascus, he came to Jerusalem, and he was thinking, you know, let me now connect with Peter and the apostles. And they were like, "Um, no, who are you? No, we remember the last time you were here, you were overseeing the stoning of our brother in Christ, Stephen. And verse 26 says, they didn't believe he was a disciple. They didn't believe he was a Christian. Maybe they remembered when Simon the magician made a quick profession of faith and even was baptized under Philip's ministry and turned out to have a very wicked heart. They're like, we're not sure he's a disciple. Verse 27 now. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he, that is Paul, had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of of Jesus. Wow. Do you, do you see how profound this is? If there's no Barnabas doing this, there's no Paul. There's no official, the apostle Paul, sent out by the church on his three missionary journeys, <laughs> taking the gospel all over the world. Be a Barnabas. How? Two ways. One, Be willing to take a costly risk of your own relational standing with others to bring people together in true unity. That's what we see Barnabas doing. Can you not just imagine the risk he was taking? People perhaps even saying, you know, you really need to count the cost, Barnabas. It may not be worth it. You have this leadership role. You are respected. Let someone else. Let someone else stand up for Saul. Don't do that. Is he really, you know, is he really worth that risk, Barnabas? Think about your reputation, Barnabas. What about your relationship with the apostles? It's so important. You don't want it to be fractured. But Barnabas isn't like you and me. We are so afraid of people. The fear of man is so prevalent. We are so unwilling often to take a costly risk of our own relational standing to bring people together in true unity. 
it's rare. It's rare in churches. It's rare among Christians. It's rare in the world, even rarer in the world. And it is rare among even pastors. Be a Barnabas. Look at the impact that was, that was from what Barnabas did. May these kind of encouragers, these Barnabas kind of people, may there be many more of them. He saw the good. He saw what could be encouraged. The second thing would be focus on who people are now in Christ, which is to focus on Christ. Hello? That's what he does. You know, the problem is they don't believe he's a disciple. They're like, I, I, I don't know. Like Barnabas, why, uh, is he a disciple? And Barnabas is like, look, I got two things. And this is always kind of, kind of universally. This is the two things that you need. This is the two things that you need. Barnabas is like, the first thing, he has a, a testimony. He has a testimony. He actually has a story when he encountered the real Christ. But Barnabas is like, look, I'm not going to just tell you that. I'm not going to just tell you he has a testimony. He has the second thing, which is important. There's fruit. There's fruit of his transformed life. That's what Barnabas points out to the apostles. In verse 27, he says, he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, Watch this. Here's the fruit. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas probably said more than that. He probably said, listen guys, he had to get lowered out of a basket. He was preaching Christ so boldly. He, there's fruit. He's authentic. At which point, verse 28 tells us, Barnabas was successful. He was successful. It says, so he, that's Paul, went in and out among them. So Barnabas brought together two groups of people that were at enmity, who were afraid of each other, who couldn't fellowship together. Barnabas brought them together. He was a bridge. He, at great risk to his own relational standing, brought these people together. And it was effective. Barnabas saw the good. He saw what was encouraging and he affirmed it. We need more Barnabases. During our time of uh, confession, during the songs, that's, that's what I was confessing. Lord, I confess. I don't encourage people enough. Help me to be a Barnabas. Where in the Bible can you think of another Barnabas? One who at great personal cost brought an outcast before a leader to make peace? One who at great personal cost faithfully interceded for that outcast and successfully brought Two parties at enmity together in peace? Where can you think of another Barnabas who was so 
successful at bringing people together that the effect was a personal relationship, as verse 28 says, where he could go in and out? The answer is Jesus. The greatest Barnabas is Jesus. The veil is torn from top to bottom. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the one who intercedes with the Father. It's the blood of Christ that brings peace and fellowship between us and God. Matthew 5.9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the Barnabases. For they shall be called sons of God. Be a humble instrument. Be like Jesus. Be like Paul. Be like Barnabas. And then lastly, another instrument that we see used in this story to do great things is ordinary Christians, is the church. Be the church. Or better, be the early church. Be the church. Look at verse 25. But his disciples took him by night. And we saw this already. This is back in Damascus. They took him by night and they let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Verse 30, now this is in Jerusalem, because there's another plot to kill Saul again in another city. Everywhere he goes, yep. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Do you see? Be the church. Saul doesn't get out of Damascus alive without the church. Saul doesn't get out of Jerusalem. Paul doesn't get out of Jerusalem alive without the church. Do you remember last week where I showed you how God in sort of elaborately orchestrated a relationship and an introduction between this disciple in Damascus named Ananias and this new Christian named Saul? And I told you, and the last point in the sermon last week was that God desires and designs for the church to play a major role in your life. You can't escape it. It is God's will. The church, the Christians, the disciples, the ordinary Christians, they save Saul's life. Be the church. How? Three ways. One, I think, first off, as the church, we should know. As we read these these verses we should know the Christian life is joyful, is wonderful, but it's not safe. It's not safe. Everybody's taking risks here. Number two, be the church. Hold the rope of sending a missionary. Care, risk, sacrifice, work. There are Christians, ordinary Christians. We do not know their names. They're from Damascus. They died. We've never heard of them. These are the men and women who held the ropes that Lord saw in that basket so that he could take the gospel to people who had never heard of Jesus. Be the church. Be the church. Verse 31 gives us these five characteristics of the church at this time. We get a glimpse in verse 31 into what a healthy, early Christian church looked like. And it's instructive to us because we see as we look at it 
that a great church is not about attendance or buildings at all. Be the church. Not go to church, not have church, not attend church. Be the church. Verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. You see, that's the first characteristic. They had peace. And was being built up. There were no Christian church buildings. There was not property owned by Christians until the 4th century. So when it says being built up, it's not referring to a cathedral. It's referring to the people as living stones being built on the cornerstone of Christ into a temple for the Lord. Be the church. So there's peace. They're being built up. There is, do you see it? Reverence. It says walking in the fear of of the Lord. Reverence. Reverence, not not cavalierness. Reverence. They have a picture of Jesus Christ reigning on a throne, walking in the fear of Christ. But not just fear. Look, what's next? And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Be the church. And what does it say last? It multiplied. Be the church. Healthy things grow. Be the church. It multiplied. Be a humble instrument. Be a Paul. Be a Barnabas. Be the church. We talked about Abraham Lincoln. Sure. Be a hero. Make a difference. Be a Paul. Be a Barnabas. Be the early church. But it's not just for them, right? It's not just for them. And it's so important that we get that. It is not just for them. We talked about Ephesians 2. Paul wrote this to the church. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we shall walk in them. Be the church. Be a Paul. Be a Barnabas. You know the secret? Let me tell you a secret as we close. You know what enabled Paul and Barnabas and the early church to be what we have seen clearly today, to be so much like Jesus? Do you know? Do you know? Here's the secret. Do you know what enabled them to do that? It is not mostly Jesus' example to them. It's not. As stellar as his example to them was. It's not mostly that. Do you know what it is? Here's the secret. It's this. It was the sacrifice and love of Jesus for them that ignited their hearts with a similar Christ-like passion. Paul could be Paul because he knew the greater Paul. Barnabas could be Barnabas because he knew his Barnabas. And we can be the church because we know the ultimate humble instrument, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray and continue singing.